Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Your satisfaction, action on the silver screen. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the show. Today's episode of the Action Addicts podcast is on the 1987 film of Arnold Schwarzenegger's The Running Man. The Running Man is uh, not one of the most popular Arnold Schwarzenegger films around, but it is one that I really wanted to talk about. Now, it was directed by Paul Michael Glazer, and it was based, and I must definitely emphasize the word based, on a Stephen King novel of the same name. It was uh, written or rewritten, however you want to look at it, by a man called Stephen Souza, and I'm 99% confident that a lot of people would probably not be referring to it as rewritten. Uh, they would probably more accurately use the word bastardized, but uh, I don't know. Um, we're going to get into that later in the show, and I don't want to repeat myself, so trust me, I'm going to I'm going to cover that in sort of, uh, you'll, you'll hear, you'll hear, you'll hear, be calm, be calm. The main reason I wanted to do this show is because of the popularity of Squid Game, because this episode was actually originally supposed to be the uh, inaugural episode. This was going to be the first film that I covered. However, due to scheduling and, and really wanting to get Shafi on to do this episode with me, um, we had to move it. And in all honesty... I wasn't entirely sure I wanted The Running Man to be my first episode anyway, so it had already moved in my head to the second or third episode. So the fact that then scheduling just meant that I had to move it further, it made Commando the obvious choice to replace it, because I'd, I I wanted the first episode to be a big and bombastic, you know, 1980s explosive extravaganza, and I think Commando fits that bill a lot better than The Running Man does. The Running Man is full of a lot of action, perhaps more so than I'd actually remembered, but I don't think you can compare it to something like Commando. Commando is very much uh, light on plot, heavy on action, and, you know, it's it's very much the poster child for big dumb action films. Uh, it's, it's probably the one that gets memed and uh, gift about the most online, you know, Schwarzenegger painting himself up and coming out of the forest with his muscles. I can't say that I see the Running Man referenced in a lot of popular media, but that is also the reason why I wanted to do this film. Because in a world where so many films have a similar plot to this, it kind of bugs me that this film is forgotten. The plot of the film is, in a dystopian America, a falsely convicted policeman gets his shot at freedom when he must forcibly participate in a TV game show where convicts, runners, must battle killers for their freedom. Now, if that sounds somewhat familiar to you, you might be thinking of The Hunger Games, uh, you might be thinking of Battle Royale, or you might be thinking of Squid Game, or you might be thinking of many other stories that have had a very, very similar theme about the dregs of society basically being forced to kill each other for the riches entertainment or to distract the masses. Now, 
Some films fit that bill better than others, and there are variations of that across the various different films. I mean, I actually was thinking the other day that Death Race also fits that bill, even though Death Race is completely different because it's about cars. But ultimately, the end goal is the same. It's blood sport to distract people from what is actually going on. And the fact that Squid Game was so overwhelmingly popular is the reason why I wanted to cover this. You will hear me say the same thing later in the episode because we kind of talk about that. But that is the setup for today's uh, outing, so to speak. We also go in a little bit about how much money the film made. So I'm not going to cover that here because it's relevant to our conversation later. So I'm going to hand you over to uh, myself and to Shafi now and... We're going to talk to you about our thoughts on this film, how it's aged, what it's like watching this film in 2022 compared to 1987 when it was originally released. Uh, some of it, ironically, has changed barely anything, but uh, some of it is obviously going to be very different. So sit back, relax, get yourself a beverage of your choice, and let's get into the action on the Action Addicts podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're back. We're live. We're in the room, and I have my guest with me. You know him. You love him. He's my friend and yours. He's the host of Who Dropped the Popcorn. Introduce yourself, my friend. Hello. How's it going? Uh, my name is Shafi Malik, and yes, as Scott rightly said, uh, I'm the host of Who Dropped the Popcorn podcast. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on the show. That's quite all right. I. Uh, I, I won't lie. I reached out to all the people that I thought would say yes. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I say yes all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm well, easily that's, persuaded. That's a, that's a good way to be. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so uh, today, as I hopefully said in the intro, but I don't know because I haven't recorded it yet. We're going to be talking about the running man, the Arnold Schwarzenegger film. And the first thing I need to say before I ask any questions, and because I know people are still going to say this, I don't care whether this film is close to the book because I've never read the book. <laughs> so this is not the podcast to listen to if you're expecting me to rant about the differences between the book and the film because I don't know what they are. Have you read the book, Shafi? So it's interesting because so what happened to the listeners, Scott and me, we, um, we set up uh, about this like a couple of months ago. Yeah. And then um, so then when when we did set that we would talk about this film, I started listening to the audio book. Oh! Uh, however, I didn't, uh, however, I didn't finish it. So, um, it's, How far did you, get? you know, uh, Oh, I don't know. I would say about an hour in maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Okay. But, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, but so I, I have sort of like a, uh, like a general vibe of what the book is like, um, uh, but yeah, I, I'm I'm more familiar with the film. Yeah, no, I mean to be honest, I have seen this film before, but the last time I watched it, I was a kid, and there's a ton of stuff that I noticed this time that I did not pick up on the first time. Um, but the main thing that I actually discovered was I've always kind of thought of The Running Man as a film that didn't quite live up to its potential. But again, watching it as an adult, I think I might have actually just 
gone up a few pegs in my Arnold Schwarzenegger ranking. There's a lot of stuff that watching it in 2021, I think, hits differently. And it has now made me want to read the book. So the fact that you've just said that there's an audio book, I am looking it up now as we speak. Yes. Where does it, where does, can I ask, where does the running, where did the running man um, fit in your rankings? I know you it, probably don't have an official ranking, it, but not but yet. Where, where Future it, episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where, where was it before and where is it now? It, it was in the lower echelon of Schwarzenegger films, not because it was ever a bad film or, or an unentertaining film, but because as a kid and as a teenager, the pantheon of Schwarzenegger films, Schwarzenegger, for the listeners, you you already know this because you've heard my episode on Commando. Um, Shafi doesn't know this because the episode doesn't come out yet. But <laughs> Schwarzenegger, it was my action star growing up. I know some people it's Van Damme, some people it's Stallone. Other people was Jackie Chan. Jackie did eventually take that spot, um, as did Jet and uh, various times. But as a kid, I grew up watching Schwarzenegger's uh, family comedy stuff and then immediately moved into the stuff that I was way too young for because <laughs> I was born in 1991. Um, I, comparing it to Predator, uh, Total Recall, even The Sixth Day, to be honest, all of his weird action sci-fi stuff is so top tier that The Running Man always kind of felt out of place. But when I rewatched it, I think that's because the ideas that they were dealing with just completely went over my head, if I'm being honest, as a kid. And I don't think I've ever truly rewatched it. I just remember the action. So when I rewatched it this time, the dystopian future, the messages of corporations taking control, it's nothing new in inverted commas we've seen that in a lot of films now but i think the running man gets a bad rep partly because a lot of people will just tell you it's a bad adaptation of the book but also because people will say it battle royale hunger games and now squid game exist but running main running main running man (laughs) is part of that chain and they're all basically along the same sort of lines of You don't want the corporations taking over. The big man in charge doesn't have your best interests at heart. And everybody would rather be distracted than actually admit there's a problem and do the hard shit required to deal with it. Yeah. So I'm trying to think, how did we actually end? How did, so we're kind of drawing back the curtain. How did we actually end up deciding on the running man? This film. Yeah. Because because I I, I know because I picked it. Um, we just uh, sorry i i remember exactly why <laughs> no um we picked the running man because i had just watched squid game and i made me think of the running man and i didn't want to cover the hunger games because although that i have read all the books for and have seen the films for and could quite easily go into a rant about how they're not a great adaptation of those books um oh. i uh i wanted to do the running man because I don't think people talk about it enough in the same way that people talk about Battle Royale, Hunger Games, 1984, which is slightly different, but all all those sorts of films where it's the dystopian future and people haven't realized. Um, The wall is being pulled over people's eyes. And I think people have this tendency, oh, it's got Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. It's just a big, dumb action film. And that's all there is to it. But I was actually surprised to find that that's not the case, at least in my opinion. So it's it's interesting because, yeah, it, this is a film that I've always banged the drum about, and um, 
yeah, you you said you put it, you ranked it lower in the kind of the um, the Arnie filmography, <laughs> and I think it's I definitely for me it feels like the the upper echelon of his fil- filmography because I think um, there there is I mean you know yes as a kid I loved um, Commando because it felt like action porn I guess in a way but oh it totally very, is but it's very sort of it moves in a very straight line you doesn't you know to be honest you could sort of write the plot on a on a napkin and um you know it does what it says on the tin but I think for me um the running man I, I watched around a similar time as watching um commando and this is a film that sort of stuck with me more um uh and I think one because as a kid I felt I found it quite in, intense I mean a lot of the action takes place in these sort of dark spaces these dark arenas where yeah. they're being stalked by a stalker I guess you know by by his gladiators that are kind of twice the size of them and you know it's sort of kind of shot like a some of it is shot like a horror film where they sort of appear out of nowhere in the shadows and um for me that you know um as a kid you you sort of remember the stuff that scares you um the, the most so um yeah I, I think you know there, there's but then as you're as you end up growing up and you end up re-watching films and me re-watching this film i think there's so many sort of talking points i think you mentioned a lot about you know the corporation you know it feeling sort of anti-corporate i mean um a lot of people lambast it for being camp but i don't i think people are missing the point regarding the campness of it because the the campness comes out of I think it's a very self-aware film, as in, you know, there's a reason why you've got these gladiators that are kind of larger than life and have these names like Sub-Zero and Dynamo and all that stuff. And and because um, it knows, it it makes itself feel cartoonish. Um, But but in a way, I think it's making a pop on what pop culture was like at that time because ww well it was wwf at that time but wwe you know was very popular at that time that was kind of that was like the big boom of you know it's sort of a popularity and i think it was sort of playing along that i mean you know a lot of those those characters are played by wrestlers anyway um yeah so um yeah but also i i think there's you know, I, I, I really, I mean, there are some kind of drawbacks of it and I will sort of talk, talk about that. But I, I, one thing is that it has some sort of very interesting things, not just, not just about kind of, you know, corporations and anti-corporate and reality TV, but I think something that's very interesting is just how we feel about capital punishment as a, as yep. a society as well. Yeah. And I think that's something that, um, could have been sort of explored in the film, but um, but still, it sort of opens that sort of dialogue and that theme. Um, you know, it's, it's something that you know other Arnie films don't really sort of get into. I don't. I mean, as I said, there are there are some. You know, that you know, you could say that the Predator is allegorical. You know, um, you could say, um, you know, Terminator is about kind of the 
you know, dangers with technology and, you know, um, yeah. So I, I think it's a very important film in, um, in its filmography that I feel, um, doesn't get discussed enough. No, I mean, I, I completely agree with everything you just said. Um, I also think considering the way the world has changed since 1987, it also does a, a scarily good job of predicting where certain trends would go. The way in which they influence people's opinions by essentially controlling the media, for example, is pretty much the world we live in. And the amount of times that the media have been caught out with this, and yet we still let them get away with it, essentially. And it, it, it really does feel like it was trying to hammer home a point that they could see coming, which, of course, in all fairness... We're giving the film a lot of credit there. It was, you know, a Stephen King book at the end of the day, and he doesn't tend to miss when it comes to writing good material. So they did have a good thing to adapt from. The one thing I will say, though, and I don't normally say this, but I wanted to say it for this one because it does seem to have a lot of favorable reviews these days. Don't know what people were saying about it at the time. I haven't looked, um, but I do know that it had a budget of $27 million and it only made worldwide $38 million. And wow. so it was not by any stretch of the imagination, a success for Arnie or anyone involved, which is probably why it doesn't get the love that it should. Because I think for a long time, people looked at it as the film that tried to do too much. And I think, unfortunately, Schwarzenegger has always had this problem, especially from critics, where even when he's good in a film, they will say he is crap and they will say he's the worst part of a film. That has changed now. And I think people can appreciate the fact that that was a lot of hate and snobbery, to be honest. And yes, there are films where he doesn't always give his best performances, but when he does, people just wouldn't see it. To be, to be frank, um, there are so many reviews from back in the day of his older works where they're saying he can't act and he's totally unbelievable in the role. And when the film you're talking about is something like Commando, where acting is really not a requirement, um, I'm not really sure what they were expecting from him. I, I wasn't expecting him to suddenly bust out his Hamlet and, you know, contemplate the meanings of life whilst he's killing 100 enemy soldiers. It's just, I don't know. I think people just like to rip his films apart. And I think... That combined with the fact that this film didn't make all the money on the planet is why this film isn't as well remembered as it is. Well, the same year. Um, so this this was released in The Running Man was released in nineteen eighty seven. The same year Predator came out. I think I think Predator, his performance in Predator is actually his best performance. I think it's quite an intense performance. He's watching his sort of whole squad be sort of picked apart one by one. And, you know, there's a real sort of in intensity and, you know, particularly in that last, last, last act, um, you basically see someone who has a screen presence and, you know, you, it's that point. I mean, yeah, I'm sure there are films, you know, before that where you saw that he, he was kind of like a movie star, but I mean, you know, you, you could argue that, that, that point where he's in Predator, where he's in all that, that, um, he's put himself on all that camouflage and he lights up the, 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 the fire and he does like a big scream in the woods. Um, 
you know, you I, for me that is such a sort of like a movie star moment, and I really think that performance in Predator um, is just a it's a really underrated performance. And um, I know we're not talking about the Running Man, but I just thought I'd just point that out because it was made in the same year. It's fine. Uh, going off tangent is kind of what's happened in every episode, so I wouldn't worry about it. But no, I, I agree with you. Predator is easily one of his best films. I've loved Predator since the very first day I watched it. Um, I love the way it subverts expectations. And I know these days people might not understand that that's what the film originally was. You know, the first 20 to 30 minutes of that film is an action film up to 11. It is everything that was popular in the 80s action film at the time and then it's not when a monster shows up and starts ripping people apart and skinning them and hanging them upside down suddenly it was all these big macho 80s action stars getting thrown into a horror film and they weren't the scariest thing on the screen to me that film doesn't get enough love either but it has enough popularity to not have the running man problem of nobody talks about it Lots of people have talked about Predator, and I'm sure I will talk about it at some point, but not today. <laughs> um, I do think that there are some complaints in this film for Schwarzenegger's delivery of a few lines, but I also think that that probably wasn't him. That was more likely the directors, the producers going, we need those Schwarzenegger one-liners, uh, even if they maybe don't quite fit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> If you follow me, so from my yeah, so from my understanding, I think he had a lot of control on that on that set. Um, so for Running Man, the, for for the Running Man, yeah, yeah. So um, so he had a lot of control on that set. One of the producers was Rob Cohen as well. Um, so I, I apparently they went through a whole whole load of directors, and they finally sort of landed on and on, on the director that they had. But I know that Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm not sure whether he, he had a problem with him at the time when they were filming it, but I know that he's had, he has his criticisms of the way that f- the film ended up being directed because he said that it looks too much like a TV show and the director had a, had a background in basically direct, directing Miami Vice and other TV shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, Paul Michael Glazer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, um, but then again, I think this... I, I actually think it, if if I was sort of behind any sort of creativity, I would say make it look as much of a TV show as possible because I think that fits the kind of you know what what the film was about and um, yeah I think it, it fits perfectly I think I I think if you did it today you could do so much more with it because if you put it onto a streaming platform which let's be honest is where it would go. Um, you could literally do that and even f- fuzz with the aspect ratio and the quality to actually make it feel like a TV show when it needs to feel like a TV show. Um, you could do the fake advert breaks like, you know, Starship Troopers and One Division most recently, you know, kind of got a lot of fame for. Um, you, you could do a lot with it. And I think you're right in that I don't necessarily think everybody's visions for this film were aligned while they were making it. And I think that's why the finished product maybe doesn't always feel like one person was leading the ship. It's <laughs> the nicest way of putting yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, yeah, I think that I, I'm completely in agreement with you in the fact that let's say if we did it, if, well, Edgar Wright is working on a on a remake of it, isn't he? But um, yes, I think so. 
Yeah. So, but I mean, I think it would actually fit the format of a TV show much better. As in, one thing is that I, 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 it would be good if the viewers of the show, as in the, the viewers of this fictional Running Man TV show, are basically watching exactly what we're watching. So it kind of feels like like the first kind of twenty minutes of the Truman Show. That, yes. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I, I think because sort of that would be a, a, a good way to kind of um, to to direct it. But also, I just think the the format of the plot I think would fit a TV show really well as well because this film is sort of epi- episodic. Uh, the fact that there's one gladiator after another, yeah, that that would sort of fit fit a TV show quite well. So every episode is you know there's another stalker basically. Um, and like they could, you could put them in a different setting, etc. Um, but you know, one thing is that a lot of people say that there's kind of a lot, a lot of reverence for for the book. But you know, I think I think the book is about a very different thing. It's more like um, it's more like you know, uh, our target. Yeah, yeah. It's more, it's more kind of like the most dangerous game. That sort of, you know, that concept of, you know, someone being hunted and yeah. basically how, how he's being hunted. He's being hunted through from kind of city to city. So it's not like he's actually in an enclosed arena. It's basically like, um, what's that reality? What's that TV show? That reality TV show where they've got to escape the camera crew and they've got to, um, do you know what I'm talking about? It's like a British no. TV show in Channel Four. Oh, anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I—I'll I, be honest. I don't watch a lot of television these days, and I never really watched reality TV. Um, that's right. probably one of the reasons why I like stuff like this because it takes the mick out of reality TV. Because I've never been a yeah, fan yeah. of it. <laughs> right, good. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, well, but from what I've heard, it's basically they. I can't remember what I'm sure your listeners are screaming at the. <laughs> at the phones well, right now. to be fair, so, if it's a if it's a Channel Four show, I imagine most of my listeners are going, "What is Channel Four? Yeah, is and so, so Channel to clarify, 4? that's a UK TV channel <laughs> that uh, is is one of that, the OGs. Birthed, and it, yeah, that birthed many uh, American favorites like Spaced and else? other stuff as well. <laughs> Yes, it birthed more than one show. It definitely did. We promise. <laughs> yeah, it did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, th- this it feels like, um, uh, you know, it would be it would, my if I had, I've got kind of a, a few criticisms of the film, but I think one of the criticisms is that it is that the audience knows too much. You know, I, and that's why I feel like um, it would be good that um, the we see basically what you know if if there's that sort of as I said mentioned with the Truman Show that you know what what we're seeing on the you know ourselves is this, is matches what the this fictional audience is watching regarding the Running Man as well, and um, yeah, that that's what I feel like you know that we're you know, the, it doesn't. It should sort of stay with one kind of set of point of view throughout the whole film, if that makes sense. Oh, okay. So, so 
either set it from the point of view of we're watching the running man as a show or set it from the point of view of Schwarzenegger's character. Don't, don't chop and change between the head of the film studio, uh, then swapping to Arnie and then swapping over to uh, Maria's character. Yeah. Because we see, because one thing is we see what do we, so there's the scene where, um, uh, what's his name? Captain Freedom. Uh, Captain Freedom uh, ends up, you know, they they have these stunt uh, doubles um, fight Captain Freedom and Captain Freedom kills him. But they basically do a deep fake where they um, they they mask Arnie's and um, yes, the, the two, I'll, I'll be honest, that was going to be one of the scenes I was going to say was so ahead of its time, but not in the way yeah, they realised. Exactly. <laughs> well, one thing is that I remember watching that as a kid. So I watched this, I, you know, to be honest, I watched this so young as a kid, I don't actually know what age I, I watched it. But um, but I I watched that thinking that's unrealistic. Like, you know, they wouldn't be able to, they wouldn't be able to <laughs> do that in real life. But now look, look at us, we're watching it and we're freaked out now when we see these YouTube videos of these, like, you know, celebrities doing these sort of random things and go, Oh, actually it's deep fake. Yeah. Yeah. No, to be honest, it's, it's, it's very scary how good the, the, the way they explain it is, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not, as, it's never as simple as films make it look. It's, um, it's the old blade runner complaint of loading up a photo and just going enhance. And suddenly the photo becomes unblurry. As someone that used Photoshop for a very long time, uh, that drives me insane. You cannot enhance a photo once it's hit its max resolution. It, you, you're making pixels up at that point. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the yeah. video, the way they, they do it, it very much does resemble the way that they do deep fake tech. I mean, I'm... Uh, I'm I'm loath to, to talk about something that is a spoiler in something else that's more recent. But if you don't know the spoiler by now and you're and you like Star Wars, then you should have watched The Mandalorian season two by now. And if you haven't, that's your one and only warning. Skip this bit. But they obviously use a form of technology to de-age and make another character look like Mark Hamill. However, I don't know if you watch the behind the scenes of that episode. But they actually tried using other techniques, one of which was deep fake. And the deep fake that they didn't use looks a thousand times better than what they actually did in the episode. It is actually scary how well it looks like Mark Hamill. And it really irritates me that they didn't use that because his expressions on his face. Well, they they gave a silly reason, but I think the real reason was it costs a lot of money to do this and we're running out of time because we only decided to do this like last minute in the filming schedule, um, yeah. I think is the honest answer. But obviously no one said that. They, they, they said the technology wasn't quite there yet. And it's like, yes, it is. There's people on YouTube <laughs> doing it. What are you yeah. talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, that, yeah. that bit aside... Uh, the way that they showed them doing it in that behind the scenes is almost the way they do it in the film where they take out, you know, uh, a specific set of uh, AI generated facial features 
matching it with previous footage that they've got and putting it onto a mannequin's face and then using a computer to overlay the image and make it match the motions. It's pretty much exactly how they showed the deepfake being done for Luke Skywalker. And that is just nuts. Obviously, it's a very simplified version of it. And, you know, they're using computers from the 80s. Those computers were lucky if they could display things in color, never mind the processing power needed to do those sorts of calculations on the fly. They'd have exploded. But, you know, it's sci-fi. We go with it. We, we let them have that. <laughs> yeah, I remember as a kid thinking, no, that's, you know, that's too unrealistic. And for now, geez, it's just it's scary, isn't it? But, um, but there you go. But yeah, I think that's the thing is that I feel like uh, us as an audience we know too much so we it would have been much more i guess possibly much more interesting if we just saw that without any actors reacting to the watching it on the screen and we just saw what was happening and and then you know i, I that's the thing and i i mean yeah i, I do have other criticisms of it but I, I think that's probably one criticism i'd, I'd go into but it, it, when you say that we know too much, do you mean that specific scene or in general? I think in general, I think. Um, okay. No, I mean, I, I yeah. can I can definitely see that. Um, I I didn't think that, but I, I know that that's something that I very rarely care about. Like, there are some films where I, I prefer not to know. And then this film, I think, I don't know if you would have been as invested if you didn't know from the word go that he was being framed because the fact that he's being framed and the way that they're manipulating what you know happened didn't happen and the way that they they turn people against people with what you know is false i think is such a big part of the film itself i mean even the opening says when watching this sci-fi gladiator isn't enough you need to take more direct measures and that's where the film opens with the massacre that he got blamed for and then they they cut it together to make it look like he did it and again that sort of stuff has been done in real life since this film was made and it was kind of happening at the time but um i don't know it, it could have worked i agree but i think i preferred knowing but then would you have really honestly gone into a film with Schwarzenegger at the time and thought, oh, yeah, he, he did it? Because <laughs> Schwarzenegger didn't typically ever play a bad guy. <laughs> well, well, that's the thing. That's, so that goes to my second, my second criticism is then is that I think this film, I think possibly because we're, I would move it to a different genre if, we did, if, if the film did this, but this is where I could get a bit controversial, is that I think the... The setbacks of this film are all rooted with Arnold Schwarzenegger because I think that the character would, this character would work much better as a, as an anti-hero. So, you know, because in a way he's sort of a bit bland and, you know, you know, I think he, I think his character is probably the least interesting thing about the film. Um, and I think even though I wouldn't want, you know, the lead character to be responsible for a massacre, but I think it'd be much more interesting if he was actually guilty of a crime. If he, you know, so that we're, we're watching it and it, it gives, it, you know, it gives the, you know, us, the viewer, like a, a bit more conflict while watching it, thinking, well, I'm with you, you know, and, and that, that possibly, 
what you watch, you know, from for the for the running time from beginning to end is his sort of redemption arc, you know. It's yeah. like, you know, do you want do you want this person to survive or not? You know, do you you know, it, it, and as I said, it kind of goes into the theme of capital punishment, you know, and you know, how we sort of feel about it. You know, if if this person is, is guilty of this crime, you know, um I, I think it's sort of you know, I, I think it could open up a lot of a lot more interesting uh, themes, I guess. So I think if if it was that he, and but you know, then again, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. So and he was sort of at the peak of, you know, he was the biggest movie star then, so one of the biggest movie stars then. So yep. you know, he, there's no way that they they would do that. I'm guessing if this if there was like this was like an HBO show or something like that, then possibly you know there would be room for that lead character to be an anti-hero but um i think it's it's much i would find that much more interesting that this is your kind of your action hero to see and he you know you're watching him trying to survive but do you want him to survive yeah no i i I see what you're saying i think this is why i say that you know i i don't think schwarzenegger's performance is flawless in this film i think they tried to give him a bit of an edge, but he didn't quite know how to play it then. I think he could rock the character now without any issues, but I think there's so many times in this film where I could tell he was supposed to be ambiguous, where he was trying to be intimidating. An obvious scene, which I will talk about, uh, we will stop going all over the place in a minute, folks, but um, the obvious scene that I think... Blame, that applies- blame me for that. Yeah. Um, the, <laughs> the obvious scene that I think that applies to is when he breaks into what he thinks is his brother's apartment and it actually turns out to be uh, Amber Mendez. And the fact that what happens next and how it happens next, um, A, is not something that I think you'd get in a film today. B, it very much reminded me that this is a film from the 80s and he... Because, like, even when I say this out loud, if you haven't seen the film and you're a mad lad that's just listening to us talk about a film that you've no clue what we're talking about, let me explain. He breaks into this woman's house, realizes that he's broken into this woman's house, and then his solution to that is to tie her up onto her exercise machine and intimidate her into helping him. And when she says no, he rips the exercise machine out of the floor and threatens to push her out the window and says, you didn't say please. And it's like, I really feel like that you were trying to do something different there, Arnold, but it really doesn't come through at all. (laughs) And I I don't think that's necessarily his fault. I just don't think he was suited to play that type of character at that point in his career. Like you say, he was riding high. No one was saying no to him. His films always made bank. And technically this film did too, just not as much as maybe some of his others. And you know, she was doing so much of the work whenever they were on on screen together, and she was great. I mean, that she was a fantastic actress. Um, I absolutely loved the character mm. that she played. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. But I, I think that if they had made him an antihero in 1987, I don't think American audiences would have been as interested because. I know for a fact that, especially since you're also talking about people that are slightly older than us, uh, the fact that the good guys are the good guys and the bad guys are the bad guys is a big sticking point. And uh, if you're going to watch somebody kill people 
and use a chainsaw to uh, tear them in half and use barbed wire to uh, slice their throat to shreds, et cetera, et cetera. People really want that person to be a good guy and go, yeah, they deserve it because they're assholes and he's vindicated, man. I do the same thing, you know? Um, that's where that, I think, falls down is I don't think the audiences would have responded to it, which is, I suspect, why they did it the way they did it, because they wanted people to be like, yes, Arnold, kick their ass, you know? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, as I said, I think this probably makes for a much more like interesting like HBO show or, you know, FX show or whatever. And the fact that um, just everything about it, you know, the format of it, the, you know, the plot, the, um, and as I said, I think it would probably, it would just be an, I think it'd be an interesting experiment to see, you know, um, your lead character as someone who has this baggage and, you know, do you, you know, because that, that's what a lot of these, you know, most popular TV shows, you know, Walter White is Walter White. You know, we, we don't like what we see. We don't, you know, we think he's a, you know, we, we don't, we don't like the person, but we can't keep our eyes off him. Walter you know, White, and, you speak for yourself. I think he's great. <laughs> that's good. That's, <laughs> you got our heroes here. <laughs> um, uh you know like tony soprano you know uh I, you know as i said I, I think it would probably for me it'd probably be a, a much more sort of interesting watch but but still i think it i still think that this film you know it's got a, a really good sort of sense of production design um uh you know i i think you know the, the action is, is very good and as i said sometimes it sort of feels like a a horror film so i do i do love it for, for what it is as well yeah no I, I i agree like you know like i said i still thoroughly enjoyed it and that's why i wanted to do an episode about it because some of the action is really good and it's really visceral as i said someone gets killed by barbed wire which is hilarious because this is the third film now where i've seen someone die in a, a very similar way because uh people listening will know that I watched uh, Ninja 2 Shadow of a Tear recently, which has somebody die with the barbed wire on the end of a chain wrapped around the neck. And uh, then for the he podcast... Was a real pain in the neck. Exactly. And then uh, literally a couple of nights later for the podcast, uh, we did Writing Wrongs, where I watched uh, Karen Shepard oh, bust out film. the same weapon to uh, take on Cynthia Rothrock. So I feel like I'm, I'm on a trilogy here. You know, it's this is coming threes. <laughs> you make um, a box set. Yes, the the best kills with strangulation and, and barbed wire. There is a, there is a name for that weapon, but I'm blanking what it is. <laughs> I think myself as well. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, I'm sure the audience will scream it at me loud enough in the comments. Um, <laughs> and uh, I I just think that the things that this film does well even though there is good action it's everything else it's like you said it's the atmosphere it's the music it's the soundtrack it's everything that builds this world as one that has been conquered essentially and the people living in it don't know it and that is power to quote some of the guys in the films you know the guy that runs this doesn't answer to anyone he's the one that distracts the population from realizing what the situation actually is how bad 
life actually has gotten, even for them, even though they're convinced that they're living for the good times and that the bad things only happen over there. Like the bad things aren't happening where I am. The bad things are happening where you are. It's just that you're believing what's being fed to you. And Hunger Games does exactly the same thing. Battle Royale does a very similar thing. Robocop has a similar message. Starship Troopers has a similar message. It's in that same vein as a lot of the films of its around it in the same era, but also a lot of films that have come and gone. And I think the the what triggered me to want to to do this episode was Squid Game, which is made in Korea, is not an English spoken series was dumped on Netflix alongside a bunch of other content from Korea that I'm convinced nobody expected to get the reaction that it did. It has set records for Netflix that I doubt will ever be close to, except for maybe when it gets to season two. Um, And everybody... Are they making another season? Yes. Oh, wow. Everybody has talked about this show, even people that don't watch shows from other languages. You know, so many people I know that that was their first foreign language show where they actually made the effort to read subtitles purely because everybody else was talking about it. And the things that people say about Squid Game, they're talking about it like it's the first show to ever do it. It's the first story to ever suggest these things. It's like, no, it's not. There are dozens of them out there going back decades, but Squid Game has kind of opened the door for all these other franchises and films or books to go, hi, we're here. We're, we're what it's based on, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And um, I just think the running man gets gets the, the short end of the stick. I mean, yes, you can level complaints against it. And yes, you do have to put up with the fact that you're watching a film that was made in the 80s. So some people, uh, not myself, will call it dated. It's not dated. Um, if you think that watching an old film is dated because it's old, I don't think you understand what that word no. means. <laughs> Yeah. No. If anything, I think, I think, I'm not saying that our society would accept a TV show like this now, but I think our society is the closest it's been to having a show like this, uh, having a show like The Running Man. Uh, I know that we, we, you know, it it would, there's no way, you know, it'd be made now, but. You know, I, I can, I can, you know, I can imagine a reality TV show of a bunch of convicts on death row, and you know, um, you, and so I don't think, as I said, I think we're we're the closest as a society to you know having that TV show for real life. So saying this film's dated, I do not, uh, I completely dis- disagree. It's very prescient, I think. Oh, no, I I completely agree. It's just that, unfortunately, I have watched films with a very large group of different people. And uh, I allude to this in a previous episode um, about the concept of cringe. And uh, it's funnily enough, it's the same people. Um, It is one particular person, unfortunately, but I'm not picking on him. There are other people that feel the same where they find it really difficult to watch stuff that was made well, basically before they were born, which is, I hate that as a concept in general, but um, I've got them to watch older stuff and some stuff they like, but stuff like this, where there's science fiction involved, where, you know, it's set in a future that is now actually our past, you know, the futuristic year of 2017. Um, 
they they really struggle with that. And unfortunately, I think those people represent a large portion of the casual audience, which I don't have an answer to that. Um, and we're going really off topic. But if you don't know that that's what happens here by this point, guys, I don't know what to tell you. If this is your first time listening, yes, this is the right show. We are indeed doing this. This is happening. Live in the moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think, um, yeah, uh, you know, as I said, I, th- I think people should check it out just because I think it's a film that sort of generates a conversation, which yeah. I think there are a few um, Arnie films that doesn't have that in the fact that, you know, they're kind of just straightforward action films, you know, um, but I think, you know, this is a, you know, it feels like an out, well, no, because there are sort of other other films that have kind of deeper, you know, within Arnie's filmography that have kind of deeper themes, but um, yeah, I, I definitely think that um, this is, this, it did something interesting. Uh, so do you have any specific scenes that really stood out to you in the film? So, um, <laughs> I mean, to be honest, it, my, I do, I like the, um, I do like the, 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 the I mean, there's quite a lot, a lot of scenes, but, um, one thing is that I, I like the opening when they're trying to escape when, when they do escape from that um from that prison oh yeah 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 them, when they're in prison they've got they've got the neck they've got the neck um collars that will explode the co- yeah the collars that will explode when they go through the barriers and you know um uh that is, they use those sort of necklaces well sim- something similar in battle royale right uh mm-hmm. yeah i mean to be honest i've seen as much as this is not a good film folks they they actually have a similar device in wild wild west and um i was also thinking you know as i was watching it i was going i wonder if this place was run by amanda waller's grandmother (laughs) (laughs) because this this feels like a test run for the suicide squad right 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 yeah oh so do they use okay uh, uh, in Suicide Squad, they're not collars; they're chips implanted in the, in the necks. But obviously, yeah, it's right, basically yeah, yeah. the same thing. This is just an older concept. <laughs> you're you're an anime guy, right? Do you do have you do you know a TV show called Oedo Eight Hundred Eight? Not off the top of my head. Does it, is that the English title, the Japanese title, or is it the same title regardless? It's the English title. I don't know what the Japanese title is called, but. Um... Cyber City Oedo 808, uh, O-E-D-O. And, um, uh, and yeah, that's basically three convicts that, um, that are, it's basically, basically the Dirty Dozen, but in like, oh, yeah, so anime world. I, I've just looked it up. I haven't seen it, but I have seen it around. So, um, yeah, no, that's, that's not what I've seen. Uh, that's a great show. And, uh, and, um, that could sort of do with a, like a modern spin on that. But, um, but yeah, but anyway, so yeah, that, that opening scene, I think there's just quite a lot of sort of intensity behind it. I mean, yes, I guess people would say it's dated because you're looking at, at computer screens with these sort of very old, um, uh, eight bit graphics. Um, but I, I still think, uh, there, there's an intensity and, uh, um 
yeah, I, I think that that opening is great. Um, you know, I I just think the whole you know what, what watching that um, all the scenes within that Running Man TV studio, I think are, are really cool as well. Um, the the like the, the dancing, you know, uh, apparently that was choreographed by Paula Abdul, which is uh, interesting. But I think ah, yeah, okay. Um, and also, um, but I, a lot of these scenes is, you know, that opening, the, in, the intensity and kind of the, and the, the sort of the glitz and glamour of that kind of that, that running man TV studio. It's all scored by, uh, Harold, Harold Faltermeyer. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I really like the score. I think he's an underrated composer, to be honest. I know, and I, I know that, um, you know, for some people it sounds dated, but I do love that synth. Um, you know, I mean, I'm so there were three films. Go, go, I, I'm sort of digressing here, but there were three films that I, our household used to watch, um, kind of constantly in rotation. And um, one of them was The Karate Kid. The other one was uh, Back to the Future. But the third one was Beverly Hills Cop. So I have such a oh, there you go, look. Uh, Scott has just showed that he's wearing a Back to the Future t-shirt. Um, so yeah, I, but so, you know, anything, uh, Harold Faltermeyer is, um, uh, is, has, uh, I've got a soft spot for. So, and I, and I do really love the score for this. It has that kind of, um, the, there is some action scenes in, in this film where it's got that kind of driving, like synth score, the, and then the drums go, you know, when they're sort of like charging at the end in the last act yeah, when they're yeah. charging into the into the studio. Um um but yeah I mean uh yeah I, I think kind of a, any of those scenes and um watching the like you know the the audience sort of react to what what's going the action that's going on as well. Um yeah nothing sort of um I'm just trying I mean as I said it's it's hard for me to I could sort of talk for hours about what I specific <laughs> moments in the film. Well, I'm going to try and not um put us up into Mike territory levels of uh, a 3 hour long podcast but no I, I agree with you um any of the scenes that had uh, Richard Dawson in who played Damon Killian he uh, he yeah. was just a great villain um I had so much fun with him he clearly enjoyed Brilliant. playing that character um yeah. he just nailed that selfish corporate i'm untouchable uh, mindset that a lot of people in that position still have to this day and uh not much has really changed in that regards unfortunately and i just thought of all of the times that arnie has said i'll be back this might actually be one of my favorite what ways that they've ever used it because after a while, it really feels like they're forced into his films. They don't always really make a lot of sense. They don't have much of a payoff. The fact that he says that to him as he's put into the arena, and then when he comes back with that rebel force decked out in his new threads and his machine gun, and then he's like, hey, I said I'd be back. It's like, ha, ha, ha. That's actually, yeah. That makes a change. Like That was a nice little clever setup and payoff. I really enjoyed that. Um for me, I also really enjoyed the um, sequences as you were seeing the news broadcasts and um, the characters were beginning to realize that maybe things weren't exactly as they'd thought. 
like when Mendez is realizing that what they're saying happened at the airport isn't what happened. And any of the scenes where her and Arnie were bickering were just hilarious. They, they feel so out of place, but I don't care. They were hilarious. Um, but when she's realizing like, hang on, none of that happened. And then she makes the decision to try and stand up and then she gets caught and thrown in. And I love the way that when they meet, they're just immediately arguing, even though there's people trying to kill them. And you just think, really? Have you not got higher priorities, guys? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that's testament of how good um, Maria was. It Maria Conchita Alonso, I think that's her name. So. Uh, yeah, we'll go with that. I think uh, I, I, <laughs> I'm, for, I'm always uh, hesitant for uh, messing up that pronunciation, but. Yeah, see, I'm always hesitant to pronounce people's names because e- even when they're my ethnicity, like my, people can't pronounce my last name all of the time. And I just think how it's so easy. And I feel like that's what it must be like for everybody else that I struggle with. Um, so, oh, God, I don't even want to try this, but I'm pretty confident it is Maria Conchita Alonso. But if I completely butchered that, I apologize. But yes, she was great. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, she she's brilliant in the film, definitely. Um, the other thing as well is uh, I really enjoyed, like I said, we were both saying about how we think he was trying to be a bit more of an anti-hero. It doesn't quite work in the the TV studio scenes. It doesn't quite work when he's in the apartment with her. But I think it does kind of shine through after he kills people. I love the way he uses his one-liners because he just does not care that he's just chop someone in half with a chainsaw strangulated and you know rip someone's throat out he's just so into it as like a killer and then it just turns off and he's like oh yeah what happened to, what did you know what happened to buzzsaw oh you know he split <laughs> and it's I, I was just like yeah that's that just works yeah. so perfectly because like you say this film's camp is the point they want the world to seem ridiculous because that's the only way it works is you have to make the camp and make the uh, the obscenity of the situation part of the performance if people notice the performance then you're going to suddenly realize the problem i mean i really don't want to have a repeat of um an earlier episode that again shafi has not yet heard but um listeners will know that rob and i talked about invasion usa and when we had that conversation it was really hard to not almost start talking about politics because that film is also really good at predicting some things that happen. And uh, I was really impressed and terrified at how much it predicted. And I could almost say that uh, the way in which they distract everybody is very similar to how a certain government in the United Kingdom currently operates. That It's a really good performance. And as long as they keep dancing, no one's going to notice all the crap they do in the background. It's funny that, uh, and the, the, um, the book, this, the, the source material of the book going into this as well, the fact that the entertainment um, industry has such a kind of like a high authority on on matters where I think um, uh, Killian, the, the character Killian, um, picks up the phone and says, let me speak to uh, the Justice Department entertainment division. Yeah. It's funny. And then uh, he pauses and he's like, no, actually scratch that. Get me the president's agent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I just love so the idea that the, the president is like, like can be booked for parties. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, but it's very, you know, telling of, you know, we, there, there was a president that was a, that was a Puppet. former game show host as well. Yeah. So, um, let, let me ask you a question. If they, so they are working on a remake, who would you, which TV, host would you cast in a new version of the running man that's difficult partly because i would probably pick someone from the uk but i think in reality it would have to be an american um i actually think someone that would do the job amazingly because he kind of already did but in a film that i think he was wasted in is samuel jackson um he's not again he's not a presenter but the part he played in the RoboCop remake, he was by far my favorite character. And I would love to see him basically take that character and actually get to do something a bit more with it. Um, if I was to actually pick a current presenter, I think uh, I'm trying to think of his name. Leave, leave Bradley Walsh alone. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it wouldn't be Bradley Walsh. It would, um, it would, it would have to be somebody that is also a, a comedian because it has to be somebody that can improv and is on the fly. I actually, I, 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 a name came to my head straight away. It's not who I want. And the fact that his name would be on the project would immediately make people hate it. But that's why I think it would work. And that's James Corden. <laughs> oh my God. Seeing him go be strapped onto that little car at the end would mm -hmm. be, <laughs> because as much as I used to really like him and I do still like him when he's in, he's, he's acting. I know he's not particularly loved by everybody um, in any way, shape or form. And I think he has that perfect blend of he's kind of funny, kind of liked, but kind not to be able to pull off the, I've got lots of money. Therefore you will laugh at what I say. And I do kind of make a good joke every now and then, and I'm a presenter. So, you know, let's have some fun. <laughs> well, one thing is that, uh, so apparently, um, when, after the running man was released, people that had worked with Richard Dawson said, you know, kind of on the prices, right. And stuff like that. They, they saw that, that performance and they said, that's exactly how he's like, like he's that arrogant. <laughs> and he, and he would sort of make snidey comments about, like, if he didn't like the look of someone, you know, he would kind of get them fired and all that stuff. And, uh, and funny enough, people, <laughs> I mean, listen, where I'm not going to put any sort of gossip on your podcast and you, you to get sued, but apparently James, from what I've heard, James Corden, um, he is, uh, what you see on TV and what he is behind the scenes. Apparently, are very different people. Let's just say that. So. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, I, I love your optimism that you think uh, it, the podcast will be big enough to worry about such things. So I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> James Corden, don't sue, don't sue Scott, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And if you are listening, James, uh, please make a better <laughs> film than Three Musketeers. All <laughs> oh, right, <laughs> I haven't seen that one. Many people didn't. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, um, the only thing really that to address that we've kind of skipped over is 
the resistance is also in this film and it's all the people that have actually worked out what's going on. And so whilst the running man is happening, there is also a group of people that are actually trying to figure out a way to stop the transmission. And uh, this kind of, because another film that it's very similar to is kind of the uh, plot of death race as in, you know, uh, convicts get the chance to get yeah, their yeah, sentences yeah. reduced and go, you know, but they drive cars. These guys have to run through and fight criminals. However, there is a, a, a difference because there's a, I wouldn't necessarily call it a twist because I think anybody that really thought about it for five minutes could see it coming. But towards the end of the film, you actually discover that the winners of the contest that are allegedly living very happy lives with their prize money on islands somewhere, you know, living the life of luxury. Uh, well, they're actually just down in a locker room that hasn't been touched in many years and they're just rotting corpses because they were killed after they allegedly won. Um, that to me was just such a well done moment. I mean, I, I saw it coming a mile away, but I wasn't, I didn't know if we were actually going to see it. The fact that they actually show the corpses and then the guy laughing about it, like, yeah, man, they're, they're our winners. They're loving it. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah th th there is no hope. Like all of the hope is manufactured. There isn't actually any chance of fighting back of winning. So it really does come down to, can these guys help out the resistance? And I use that term loosely because they don't really resist. They just kind of irritate. So they're more like an irritation than the resistance. Um, can they actually lead them and help them to break this transmission and show people what's really going on? And spoiler, but you hopefully have already seen this 50-year-old film. Um, you, you know, they, they do. <laughs> and uh, that leads us to the big final action sequence, which... Again, it's not too over the top. Um, it, 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 you know, it's an Arnold Schwarzenegger film. He shoots guns, people die. But much like uh, Invasion USA that I was talking about the other day, it didn't feel like uh, Rambo three. He he doesn't pull the trigger once and a thousand people die. So uh, I was very happy with it. Well, something I respect about it is that it's a it's an anti climax, but in a good way. You know, maybe possibly in in less capable hands they would have seen, uh, you know, they would have let that fight play out between Arnold Schwarzenegger and that security guard, uh, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, but, but the thing is, is that um, uh, I like the fact that there's no big boss to fight at the end. You know, it's, you know. They, they he, tease he, that all the way through the film as well, that those two are going to come to blows. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I really respect that. It's sort of like... Um, you know, the end of Desperado when it just sort of fades to black when you know, you're like, Oh, you know, but, um, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to show you this. And I kind of, I really respect that. To be honest, I thought that moment was nice because it kind of, I, I wouldn't say it, it gave the right message, but I do like the idea that when everything started to go wrong, no one had any loyalty to Killian because yeah. he didn't get where he is because he was powerful or popular. He got where he was because he had a lot of money and he had control, which is ultimately what everybody wants. It's the control. The second he no longer had that, half the people working for him were just like, nope, I'm out. And yeah, I yeah. love the way yeah. that security guard came in and he was like, yeah, I totally could fight Arnold Schwarzenegger, but you know, I've got to go uh, pick up my steroid prescription, which of course was a throwback to an insult he gave him earlier in the film. And I thought, yeah, yes, 
Yes, your words have consequences, my friend. <laughs> that that delivery of the line, uh, I remember as a kid having to rewind that so many times but I couldn't understand what he said. So <laughs> it's funny you say that because something I wondered, but obviously it's not the case, but he was the exact same height, very similar build to Schwarzenegger. And at the very beginning of the film, we established that he's looking for his brother and they say that his brother's been taken off to a re-education camp. And I thought that was going to be the twist, that the way they were looking at each other was like they knew each other. And I was waiting for him to be like, all right, bro. And then, you know, but and then when he spoke, he even had a similar accent. And I thought, so what was maybe that was a plan at one point? I don't know. (laughs) You know, so instead of like, you're expecting them to fight, but then they just have a big hug. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That'd be quite funny. The, the, I know the, this guy. I the, know this guy. <laughs> yeah, instead of being a friend from work, he's a friend from the family. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, to be honest, the best fight for me in the whole film is the one that you've already mentioned uh, right back at the start, which is the fake fight where uh, Captain Freedom goes into the ring and fights the stunt doubles um i actually think that's one of the best fights in the whole film um it's it's so brutal it's so well choreographed it it stands up despite the fact that you know like a lot of these older films you know they're not black belt martial artists they're not doing spinning back kicks they're not you know flying through the air it feels gritty it feels raw and it ends for both of them you know one gets uh, mendez character gets her neck snapped and arnie gets thrown through like a mortal combat fatality in fact i'd go so far as to say they do a better job of doing a mortal combat fatality than either of the mortal combat films <laughs> yeah I, th- I think um one thing uh, uh i as i remember watching that as a kid and finding it difficult to watch and i think the reason why is when in the very sort of rare times when Arnie's getting hurt during a fight in his whole f- filmography, he makes this noise like, ah, like that, as if you <laughs> you actually believe the pain. And uh, that's the thing. He, yeah. he was he was making that noise a lot. It's kind of quite disturbing to watch. And it makes it very visceral. And, you know, I do agree. It's a it's a it's a killer scene. Yes, it, it, it's also, you know, Jesse Ventura playing Captain Freedom was just excellent casting. I, I 100% buy that this guy used to be the best gladiator and now he's kind of like the grandpa of the crew that just kind of sits in the background going, yeah, well, I, I can kick all your asses. I, you know, back in my day, I could do it all and it's not his day anymore, you know? And I, I wish they'd done more with him because I feel like he had a lot more to give, like, what we saw of his character was so interesting, but a he's teased a lot, but we don't really see him. And then when he does come in and fight the stunt guys, he just disappears after that. Like there's no explanation given as to where he went. Yeah. Why, you know, he just, he's just gone. Um, and it, it is a shame because obviously we're both not American. Um, so I don't know about you, but I found it absolutely hilarious that they called their flag, uh, flagship character Captain Freedom, given that they're all about oppression. Yeah. And now we live in a world where most people know who Captain America actually is. Yeah. And here's a blatant copycat of him being used for nefarious purposes, which 
is a storyline that kind of then gets told in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But also there was a part of me that couldn't help but go, ah, wonder if they considered calling him Captain Oil. (laughs) Captain Oil. Yeah, man. Freedom, oil. They'll go wherever (laughs) one of those is needed. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I I think that is. uh, So, yeah. So Jesse Ventura is one wrestler. Um, The character that played Dynamo, I think, is a wrestler as well. Um, the guy that plays Buzzsaw is uh, Once upon a time I could have told you Who everybody was <laughs> But my wrestling knowledge is very sketchy now Do you follow it now or not? Uh, these days, no I, I get snippets of it um, I, I, I watched it <laughs> It's funny actually I was going to say this earlier And then decided it wasn't important But now we've kind of circled back to it When you said that this film was made During wrestling's like peak um, As a 90s kid <laughs> My my inner child went, nah, nah, bro, the attitude era is when wrestling peaked. <laughs> the 80s just warmed it up. <laughs> so what so what what era is that then? But you need to thought because I'm quite uh ignorant uh, about the, these. About the this. attitude era is Stone Stone Cold Steve Austin oh, right. came okay, in and uh yeah. and obviously then you had his young rival upstarts Triple H and a little guy you that some people might be familiar with called The Rock. <laughs> but he, you know he he never really went anywhere that one but i mean yeah i don't know but i remember being nine or ten and wrestling was huge i mean we were british but re- wrestling was still huge. you're gonna sorry you, you're gonna have to help me here i don't know <laughs> right. when you were nine sorry, or ten sorry, sorry. <laughs> so that would have been um yeah 91 92 i would say so yeah um and I remember. Oh, okay, so you're literally ten years older than me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I think it was. It was like you know, they, we had the the action figures, and you know, everyone knew who Hulk Hogan was, and every, you know, he was he was you know starting in films as well, Ultimate Warrior, hundred percent. You know, so, oh yeah, yeah, no. Hmm. I, I, when I say that uh, wrestling peaked with the Attitude Era, I'm being biased there. <laughs> it definitely 100% was massive with Hulk Mania. And you had, you know, the superpowers and all of those guys were great. Um, I, it's just that um, to me, Hulk Mania and all of that is one era. Then you have the Attitude Era, which was another big pop. And then everything after that kind of went downhill. Um, is that's not the case. Uh, there are some still some good moments, and obviously, you know, John Cena is one of the biggest stars on the planet, and yeah. he came from the era that came after The Rock. So, it, I mean, he well, if you want to get really technical, he was there when The Rock was there. But I don't want to turn this into a wrestling podcast. <laughs> so, if you're a fan of the WWE, don't start throwing all the technicalities at us. I I do know what this, but I'm trying to not go off topic. Uh, Scott Scott's <laughs> going to start another podcast, a wrestling podcast. You can listen. No, no. <laughs> No, I could never do a wrestling podcast. I, I, I struggle to watch films these days. The idea of having <laughs> to sit down and watch nine hours worth of wrestling content every week to do a podcast on it would terrify me. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and that's just if I wanted to cover the WWE. Never mind AEW and all the other companies that are out there now. Yeah, I. Yeah, I mean, the fact is, I do a film podcast and. Um, yeah, that's sort of like a anxiety that's always in the back of my head. When am I going to watch this in time for the actual recording? You know, and uh, um, there was a there was one episode on uh, Who Dropped the Popcorn where we um, 
we did uh, a double bill of both um, Dune films. So the old Dune um, 1984 uh, David Lynch film and um, the one that was released last year. And my count of the minutes is 293 minutes. And it felt like it broke me. It felt like it, it felt like, uh, I was like, I don't really want to do this podcast anymore. But we ended up having, um, I ended up sort of, uh, we ended up having like a really fun conversation about it. Um, you know, which I, I was kind of dreading doing the recording, but we ended up having like, like a lot of fun talking about it. But I remember just sort of going, getting through that, those two films and me going, Oh my God, I feel exhausted. Yeah. No, it, it's true. Um, you know, to today I watched the running man for this uh, show. I had tried to watch it earlier in the week, but life got in the way. And then my partner immediately wanted us to jump in and watch, uh, Encanto, which I did. And, you know, I know some people like I follow this one guy, um, maybe I'll have him on the podcast one day, but, um, he, he watches like five or six films in a day. And I just don't know how he does that. Like, I'm like, I, I can remember doing that like maybe once or twice when I was a teenager but I've never had the, the time to be able to do that you know I just well, I don't know how they do it man I think we follow the same person I think and I you know what I, um I have that same thought in my head I'm like how do you yeah, have time to yeah. do that especially I mean I've got I've got wife and children and believe it or not my wife wants to spend time <laughs> with me so you know um yeah, it's uh, it's it's crazy, but you know, yeah, I remember I used to work in in blockbuster video when I part time as a student. So like, I would just get through film after film, and you know, that would be sort of part of my week. It's just sort of what kind of two of like sort of what three or four films I can get through this week. Yeah, you know, but yeah, in a day, it's crazy. So uh, I think we're kind of about done, really, with the Running Man. Um, I'm not actually sure. That we talked about it as much as uh, we should have, but I think that's going to do it either way. Final thoughts then. Uh, do you recommend this film? Do you think that it still stands the test of time? I'm thinking you're going to say yes. Yeah, I definitely do think. And I th- I think, um, as I said, it's a conversation starter. And I think, you know, there are things that we identif- we can identify in this film where we think, wow, they really did kind of you know, um, predict how, you know, the, the appetite for reality TV and, um, uh, but also, as I said, it kind of opens up sort of a lot other kind of subjects regarding, you know, as I said about kind of, you know, capital punishment and, you know, the fact that do we, you know, do we have an appetite, you know, you know, what, what is the limit of what we would accept to kind of watch on TV and what we wouldn't watch? Um, you know, and people sort of, um, write this off as a, as a big camp action film. And I think that, I think you're missing the point if you're, you know, the campness is, is needed in order for, for it to make its point, I think, you know, and, um, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd recommend, I'd, as I said, I, I think, uh, I keep on banging the drum about this film and, uh, I feel like people are very quick to judge it, but, um, no, I, I think it's a really good film. Yeah, no, I'm going to agree with you. Uh, I had originally intended to talk a little bit more about those themes that we've kept mentioning, but I really don't want this to become a three hour long podcast. Um, if you guys haven't seen it, please go watch it. I don't know why you're listening to us if you haven't, but you know, I, I think you will enjoy it. It will surprise you. 
Um, there's a lot of weird things that happens. There's a guy that can shoot lightning while singing opera. And if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know why you're listening to me. Exactly. Well, and also uh, has uh, a resistance group fled by, uh, led by um, Nick Fleetwood. Yes. So, yes, it does. You know. <laughs> so uh, who wouldn't want to watch that? And with and also his uh, assistant is played by Frank Zappa's son. So ah, yeah. oh, there you go. The more you know, <laughs> Stevie. I think that's the character name. So yeah. And with that, folks, please be sure to write in and let us know if you had any thoughts. You can find the email address. You can hit me up on Twitter. You can find Shafi on Twitter under the username of at Shaf One, uh, as an O N E. So yeah, thank you for coming on, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, and that is the end of the episode for this week. Thank you very much once again to my guest, Shafi. We had a lot of fun talking about a lot of things that went off topic and also talking about The Running Man. If you want to check him out, be sure to go and check out his Twitter, as he suggested, and also be sure to check out his show, Who Dropped the Popcorn?, Those guys cover a lot of different cinema to what I do, so if you're into different films, that is definitely a show to check out. They cover all sorts of films, and they they have a really good dynamic of hosts, and it's just a lot of fun to listen to all of their different opinions, because they certainly come at them from different aspects of life. So, with that said... Next week's episode is actually going to be on a bit of a cult classic. It is going back to the realms of the 80s Hong Kong world. But this time, it is based on a manga, and it is a film that has, like I said, a cult following. So I am pretty sure that a lot of you will already be familiar with The Story of Ricky O. Now, this film got an 88 films release, so I got to watch it on Blu-ray, and the person that I had to bring on to talk about it is someone that is very much well-known amongst the action community, and that is Alex Rallo, and you will probably better know him as One Perfect Headshot or at Head Exposure over on Twitter, and he is one of the best people around for breaking down action films You have seen his work on Polygon. You have seen his work on Film Exposure. He is an all-around authentic authority on the world of film, and he is very, very big in the world of action film. So I was very excited to chat with him, and I was very, very happy that he agreed to come on. And uh, one of the main reasons for that is that the story of Ricky O, well, it may actually be his most favorite film of all time. So be sure you come back and check that episode out, because trust me when I say it's a really good one, and I think you're all going to love it. But that is it for today, guys. Thank you very much for checking this episode out and sticking with me to the very end. If you're one of those people, you have my love and adoration. But that's it. End finale. Nada. Good night. Goodbye. Thank you for getting into the action with me, your host, Scott Wiley, and I will see you in the next one. On the action!